morning, church. Uh, good to see all of you all here today. I also want to welcome all those who are joining us uh, virtually for the very first time. This is the very first time that we are actually uh, doing uh, live broadcast for our Sunday services. There's a reason why we are doing a trial run today, and there's a reason why we only can use handphones this morning. Is because uh, only... Uh, Yesterday, we came up with this decision as a church, as a collective leadership of the church, that from uh, next week and for the next two weeks, uh, the church will suspend all physical worship. Um, that means we will not be meeting here anymore on Sunday for the next two Sundays uh, because we want to uh, be responsible. Uh, in, uh, in this society, in this community, especially in these times. We want to be responsible and we want to take heed to the uh, uh, reminder and also the, uh, to the, to the, what you call that? the encouragement of the Ministry of Health to not have any mass gathering at this time. So uh, from next week onwards, we are going to suspend all our physical worship, both in MEC and also in the main sanctuary. But church still goes on, just in a very different way. Uh, we will be using uh, the wonders of technology and social media to actually have church gathering, all right? So you will actually get to experience a full worship session from the comfort of your home. Okay, so if you want to know where to um, find our live, our broadcast, you can go on to our Facebook page. So now is a good time if you haven't actually subscribed to our Facebook page, you can actually go to Facebook. I'm sure most of you have Facebook. Uh, look for Mega English Celebration. All right, and next Sunday at 11 a.m. All right, that's when uh, we were. Uh, begin our service, alright? So we do hope, you know, even though there's no physical service, we do hope that you all will actually take the time to join us virtually uh, for service, alright? Now, um, on that note, actually we have some, um, some, just some reminders, even though we are not um, meeting physically, but since we are all here today, um, so this is uh, the first two points I've already mentioned, there will be no physical worship on Sundays, our worship services will be broadcast live on MEC's Facebook. If you want to get connected to the main sanctuary service, uh, you can go on to YouTube and look for Mega CMC. Then you can find their live service on it. Or you can even go to Facebook, Mega Chinese Methodist Church official Facebook page. Uh, their live service will be broadcast on Facebook as well. Um, some other personal reminder, uh, even though you are at home, but I'm sure a lot of you will be moving around uh, from your workplace to, you know, different places. Do practice personal hygiene, um, you know, sanitize your hands a lot. I think I read a, a reminder the other day from the CDC. Uh, this was sent in by my sister. She lives, in the, she lives in the United States, by the way, and she sent me this uh, CDC reminder. She said, if you don't have access to sanitizer, remind, uh, remember, wash your hands very frequently. So uh, it's just a reminder, you know, practice personal hygiene. Um, reduce travel. You know, I know at this time, airlines are offering really cheap flights. Don't get tempted, please, all right? This is not a good time to go flying about, all right? It's a good time to actually stay at home and rest. <laughs> there's a reason why we cancel churches. There's a, there's a reason why we are canceling physical services. There's a reason why we are stopping a lot of uh, events this year. That is to prevent, you know, this virus from continuing to spread. If we, if we look at all these things being canceled and then we say, oh, I have more time to go traveling now, 
it's actually not going to make any difference, all right? So, um, reduce the travel by all means. Unnecessary travel, you know, for holiday, for vacation. I think we'll have time to have vacation, you know, later in this year or maybe, you know, the following year when everything is settled. But for now, you know, let's all play our part um, to, you know, stop this, the spread of this virus, all right? Um, if you are sick, you know, if you are sick, we will encourage you. Um, whether it's, if you think it's just a common flu or whatnot, if you are sick, uh, by all means, go and get you know, yourself checked up at a doctor, uh, at a government clinic. That would be the best, all right? Uh, I'm not sure what's the proper procedure, but apparently that there, is, there is this hotlines available for you to actually call if you, are, if you suspect yourself of having anything, all right? So don't take these things lightly. If you are sick, uh, please quarantine yourself at home. Uh, get yourself checked up. Practice personal hygiene, and the last but not least, but last but not least, and in fact, one of the most important things to do as Christian is to pray. I know you know a lot of people have been saying that we need to pray and we need to pray, and sometimes it sounds very cliche, it sounds a bit, you know, normal. But let's really pray for this situation that it does not get any worse. Let's pray for those who are actually working very actively, 24 hours behind the scenes, trying to fight this disease. Let's pray for the doctors who are actually on the front lines of, you know of uh, fighting this disease. Um, let's pray for the countries that are heavily affected, especially those in Europe. You know, um, the death toll is going up. The number of people being infected is also going up. Um, let's pray that, you know, God will intervene in this moment. Let's pray that God's hand of healing and comfort and peace will be upon us as well. Pray for ourselves that God will continue to protect us and uh, keep us safe, all right? So these are some... Uh, uh, some reminders and also some announcements regarding uh, some updates for our church services in the light of this uh, very, uh, I would say, very, uh, I would say, what's that word? Infectious disease going on in this time. All right. Now, today, today I'm going to continue. Uh, I'm going to not continue. I'm going to start a new series uh, since Easter is going to come up in a, a few weeks' time. Um, and I know when you read this title, some of you may be thinking, I, I, I stole my sermon title from Pokemon. You know, no, I did not. I actually thought of this title. Then after I thought of this title, then I realized this is actually a catchphrase or one of a, a very key phrase used in Pokemon. But I decided I'm not going to change it. You know, I'm just going to keep it there because it's catchy. Uh, I think it, it catches on with people of all ages. Um, Basically, when we talk about this topic of choosing, we are talking about choices. And I think in life, we make choices every day. From the moment we wake up, we are actually making a choice. Do you want to continue to sleep? Or do you want to actually get up? I make this choice every day. Do I want to continue to hit the snooze button or do I want to actually tell myself I'm going to get up and get to work on time? That's an insignificant choice. Or maybe it's significant. We make two choices every day. We make significant choices. We make insignificant choices. Significant choices are things like marriage. After you get married, then the next question comes. Um, family, when do you want to start a family? You know, and this, I think this happens mostly in the Chinese circle, you know. The pressure is that after you get married, you know, you go from your honeymoon and you come back, then the next question they ask, when do you want to have kids? 
You know, so so it's, it, it, there is a, a flow to your marriage life. You know, you never have a peaceful marriage life after you get married. Um, they, they, they ask you when you, have to, when you want to have kids and you inevitably you have to plan for kids. You have to plan for family. And then after you have your first kid, then the next question will come. When do you want to have your second kid? You know, this is the question that my wife asked me. I think she's watching the podcast now, you know. But I'm just going to say it out here. She, she, you know, we just had our first kid. And then she's telling me now, you know, now we are 11 months in. Uh, our, our baby is very stable. And then she come asking me, when you want to have a second kid? <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm happy with the first kid, man. <laughs> I don't plan to have a second one anytime soon. I can sleep now throughout the night. I'm very happy, you know. I think that's a lot of reasons not to have the second one. But it's a significant life choice. And then for maybe for some of us, it's, uh, you've just graduated from university and you're planning for your career. Do I continue down the same path that I studied for my degree or do I just switch uh, completely, you know? Like Brian, he studied pastry chef and then he's now working in the construction line. I don't know what's pastry got to do with construction. <laughs> But it was a significant life choice that he made, you know, and he's apparently pretty successful in whatever he's doing right now. Um, for some of you, SPM results are just out, STPM results, long time out. And right now you're planning, what do I study? Where do I study? Do I want to study local? Do I want to study abroad? I think studying abroad is no longer the question now, especially in these times, right? So... I'm sure you are a little bit disappointed. But then now you have to make a second choice. You have to make uh, other choices. You know, what field of study do I want to make? And this is very significant because apparently what you study de determines your future for at least the next 10 years, you know. Unless you are brave enough to switch from pastry to construction. But if you're not that bold, then this is a very significant choice that you have to make. Then you have the insignificant choices, the, the choices that affects you for the temporary moment. It doesn't really affect your life per se. It doesn't really affect your future. It only affects your, your present time. Things like, what do I eat next, you know? Uh, I think a lot of you sitting here listening to me preaching, you are thinking, what, what am I going to do after the church? What am I going to eat after Sunday service, where am I going to eat? And these are all very insignificant choices, you know. Um, why is my slides changing without me pressing? This is very frightening. Um, other insignificant choices, like maybe where do I go for vacation? Now, please don't think about vacation, all right? I cancelled all my holiday plans for the next, for this whole year because there's no way I want to actually take my family on vacation in such times. Um, indulgence, like, you know, uh, what shopping mall do I go, or maybe what clothes do I want to buy? Um, these are insignificant choices. Choices that even though you make a wrong decision, will not really affect your life. When we talk about choices, it is part of our everyday lives. And when we look at this theme of choices, it was actually a very major narrative in the last days of Jesus' life. And this choice was given, in fact, even given to Jesus. Remember when he was at the Garden of Gethsemane and, and he was praying 
you know, during the last few hours before he was going to be arrested, he was praying to God, God, if, 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 if you can, let this cup be taken away from me. It was a prayer of agony because Jesus knew what he was going to face. And some of us think that Jesus went to the cross. Jesus endured all the pain and suffering of, 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 of the cross, you know, with, with, with ease because He was the Son of God, you know. No, if you read the part where Jesus prayed, I think uh, the Gospel of John paints it very accurately when it says Jesus prayed and His sweat was like drops of blood. And this goes to show that Jesus was really in agony. He was afraid of what was to come. And as the Son of God, even though He knew that this was His divine mission to, to ultimately go to the cross to pay for the price of the sins of the world, He told God this. He said, God, if possible, let this cup be taken away from me. But then at the end of his prayer, he had to make a choice. And his choice was this, not my will, but your will be done. The choice of Jesus was to carry on with what God the Father wanted him to do. He had the choice to turn around, to say, no, I'm not going to do it. And God the Father would have taken him back to heaven. But Jesus made the choice to carry on. What are the choices? The disciples. The disciples had the choice to choose Jesus or to abandon him at the last moment. In fact, all throughout the ministry of Jesus, during his three years when he was raising up his disciples, he was preparing them for this very moment. His lessons, teaching them about, you know, the I am the way, the truth and the life. Teaching them about the two roads, you know, one that leads to life, one that leads to destruction. All these things were preparing his disciples for this very moment where now they have to make a choice to choose Jesus or to abandon Him. And two disciples in particular were singled out to actually make very difficult life choices. The first is, of course, the most common example, Judas Iscariot. And today we're actually going to look at the life of Judas. But the second character, I'm just going to put this out here. The second character that faced a very significant choice is that of Peter. And Jesus told Peter this, you are going to betray me three times. You are going to betray me three times. When Jesus said this to Peter, Jesus was, was actually telling Peter, this is the choice that you are going to make. But the warning beforehand was given to Peter so that he could actually reverse this choice that Jesus knew was going to happen. Jesus told Peter beforehand, several hours before it even happened, that you are going to betray me three times. 
But Peter looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, you know what? Even if I have to die for you, I would gladly do so. Peter said this, not because, you know, he was, he was taking Jesus' warning very seriously. He was saying this because he was actually brushing away the warning that Jesus was telling him. And he did not take Jesus' warning seriously. What happened when the time came? He betrayed Jesus three times. And after he betrayed and he denied Jesus for the third time, Peter realized what he has done. He realized the wrong choice that he had made. And he was so remorseful. Today we're going to look at one disciple, not Peter. We're going to look at Judas. We're going to look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 22, verses 3 all the way to 6. We're going to look at the choice that Judas made. A choice that sometimes we only think only Judas would make such a choice. But if we look at it carefully and, we, and if we reflect on Judas' choices, sometimes it actually relates to us and some of the choices that we make when it comes to choosing Jesus. So let's look at the passage of Luke chapter 22. Let's all turn to Luke 22 together and I'm reading from the ESV version. So if you have your Bibles, let's all turn to it together and let's all read it out together. For those of us who are, you know, in the screen, I hope you turn with me as well to the passage of Luke chapter 22 and in your own homes, read it together, all right? Read together with us, all right? Luke 22 verses 3 all the way to verse 6, all right? Let's read it together from the ESV version. Let's go. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. You know, there are several things that stand out and I have highlighted it. In verse 3, it says, Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot. Another thing that I highlighted here is this. Judas was one of the twelve. He was the chosen one. Other things that are highlighted is in verse 4. He says that he conferred with the chief priests and officers. This word conferred here tells us that he actually made an intentional decision to meet up with the chief priests, to meet up with the officers, you know, on, on how they could work together with himself and he could betray him to them because the chief priests and the officers in the temple were constantly looking for ways that they might actually arrest Jesus. But they could never do it because first of all, they could not find any fault with Jesus. Jesus had no wrong. He was innocent. And basically they had no grounds to arrest him. But if someone were to betray Jesus, and look at it, the, the, the key word here is in verse 6, when it says Judas consented. It means he agreed to their plans. And it says that he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus to these officials in the absence of a crowd. The only way they could actually arrest Jesus and kill Jesus, which was actually part of their plan, is if they were to catch him 
without a crowd around him. And then from there, they could start throwing false accusations on Jesus. If there was a crowd, there would be many witnesses. There were no way, there was no way they could actually put any false accusations on Jesus. And that's why they needed Judas, someone on the inside, someone to tell all these officials where Jesus would be and where and what time. Because there will be no crowds at this time, so you can come arrest him. And then the next day, when the crowds are gathered at the temple, you can say, this Jesus was arrested because last night we caught him doing this, doing that. We caught him saying this and saying that. And all these were false accusations that they could put on Jesus and ultimately get him arrested and get him killed. Judas consented. He gave in. Look at some of these things that I've highlighted. Satan entered Judas. Judas was one of the 12 disciples. Judas agreed to their plans. He wanted the money that they offered him. He looked for an opportunity to betray Jesus. These are some key words we're going to look at this morning. When we talk about Judas, the question always comes up, was he the chosen one? When I say the chosen one, because a lot of times people come with this question. You know, a lot, of, a lot of Bible verses have been prophesied that Judas would betray Jesus. You know, you look at Psalms chapter 41 verse 9, it says someone would betray Jesus. And in fact, this passage was quoted, you know, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, you know, and, and then it relates to Judas. Was he fated to betray Jesus? Was he predestined? That means chosen beforehand. That means he was fated. He had no choice. He was already selected. He was the chosen one to betray Jesus. He was chosen to be the black sheep. Was that the case? That's not the case because the Bible describes someone who would betray Jesus. But the Bible never once said that it was Judas Iscariot who was going to betray Jesus. The Bible kept the person who was going to betray Jesus anonymous. The gospel writers, you must know, they knew that it was Judas from their writings because they were writing in reflection of what had already happened. They were basically writing a historical document of what had happened and that is why they could put Judas into the references when Jesus consistently mentioned about the person who was going to betray him. But that in no way tells us that Judas was actually chosen beforehand to betray Jesus. If anything, Judas was chosen. Yes, he was chosen. And he was chosen to be a disciple of Jesus. Luke chapter 22 verse, tell, Luke 22 verse 4 tells us that he was chosen. He was one of the 12 disciples. Jesus did not happen to pick Judas up along the way. Jesus intentionally chose Judas to be his disciple. Now, I think because of my, with the problem with the adapter on my computer, I'm just going to go without slides. Are you all okay? All right, I think 
It's alright, we do without the slides. Otherwise, it's, a little, it's more distracting to have the slides on and off. I'd rather not have the slides at all. Now, Judas was chosen, and if you look at Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 2, it tells us that he was even empowered. You know, in Luke chapter 9, the, the story of Luke chapter 9 goes like this. Jesus sends his 12 disciples out for the very first time to go out without him, and he gave them all power and all authority to cast out demons, to perform miracles, to heal the sick. He gave this power to all the 12 disciples. Judas was chosen by Jesus to be a follower of Jesus. He was given the power by Jesus. But even though he was chosen by Jesus, you see, the thing is this. Judas made a very conscious choice to walk away from Jesus. Sometimes, some Christians think and tell me, I've heard this once, someone came and tell me, I think it was last year, during this time, because I only preach about Judas Iscariot during this time of the year. And this fellow came up to me and said, isn't Judas a very pitiful character? So sad. He had no choice. You know, why, why, why would God put such a, a, a role for him? But the thing is, God did not intentionally choose Judas. Instead, it was Judas through his own intentional choice and decision. He chose to forgo what Jesus has done for him. He chose to forget about what Jesus has done for him. And he chose to walk away from Jesus. I'm going to look at some reasons why Judas made such a choice. I'm going to look at some reasons why Judas chose to walk away from Jesus. And, and, and we're going to look at the Bible right here. So if you have your Bibles, keep it open. All right. And the first one is this. We're talking about a little bit of sin. A little sin. Look at John chapter 12, verse 6. And the context of John chapter 12, verse 6 is this. There was this woman that came into the house where Jesus and his disciples were having a meal. Let me try and paint this picture here without my slides. Uh, there, there was this woman, you know, who, who, who came into this place where Jesus and his disciples were having a meal. And as they were having this meal, this, this woman came to Jesus and you know that she brought a jar of perfume. She broke it at the feet of Jesus and she poured this perfume over Jesus' feet and you know she washed Jesus' feet and she wiped it with her hair. For those of you who have long hair, this is one way of using your hair. I shouldn't have said this. Now, the, the aroma of the perfume actually filled the whole house, telling us one thing. The perfume that she used was no cheap perfume. It was an expensive and a good perfume. Now, if you all are perfume lovers 
or cologne lovers, you would know the difference between a cologne bought at Tesco or Watson's and a more expensive cologne brought, bought at you know, very specialized stores. Um, you know, I'm not going to say brands up here, but you all know. There's a, very, there's a big difference in the aroma. You know? The cheaper ones, you, you put it on yourself and, and it just stings your nose. Whereas the expensive perfumes, the expensive cologne, you just put one puff and it's something that is very inviting, something that actually makes you want to smell a little bit more of it, you know. And this is the same thing with this woman. In John chapter 12, um, it says that this woman, she poured the perfume and the moment she emptied the perfume on Jesus' feet, the aroma filled the entire room. It was a very nice, pleasing aroma. Good smelling. Judas was the first disciple to speak up. And the scripture tells us that Judas was actually a bit upset. He was not happy. Because first, why would Jesus allow this woman to touch him? Alright? This woman is a sinner. This woman is not supposed to even be in this room together with us, the men. Why is Jesus allowing this woman to touch him and, you know, wipe, you know, his feet with her hair and things like that? The second reason, which was actually the main reason why Judas was even more upset, was the fact that this woman had just wasted all her money on a perfume for Jesus. And he voiced out his displeasure and he told Jesus, Jesus, if you knew the price of this perfume, you wouldn't have allowed this woman to waste all her money on this perfume for you. Because this money could have been given to the poor. It sounds very noble. Sounds very kind. It sounds like he was very sincere in his intentions. But actually he was not because in chapter 12 verse 6, it tells us very clearly that he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief as a keeper of the money bag, or maybe in modern terms, as the treasurer, or as a finance minister, he was used to help himself to what was put into it. It means that as a treasurer of Jesus, you know, the, the company of Jesus' 12 disciples, you know, they appointed him to be in charge of the money bag. But Judas, instead of taking care of the money that was given to him, he actually helped himself to what was in the money bag. He stole from the money bag. And here when Judas looked at Jesus and said, this money they put into this perfume is such a waste, should have been given to the poor. He was not so much thinking of the poor. He was thinking about the amount he could have taken from the money bag if this woman had decided not to buy this perfume, instead taken the money and given it to him so that he could put it into the money bag for show. And then after that, he could take out half of the money because it was apparently a lot of money. Judas was only looking at the money and what he could actually take. And he was upset because this woman had just put all that cash into perfume. 
and had poured it out on Jesus' feet. When we ask this question, why did Judas make such a choice to go away from Jesus, to betray Jesus? The first reason is this, a little bit of sin. A little bit of sin. What was his sin? It starts off with greed. I want this money that is not mine. I want this money. A little bit of greed led to a little bit of stealing. Maybe taking out 2%, 3% out of the money bag. But this little bit of sin soon led to a larger sin. At the end of Judah's life, in Luke chapter 22, when finally for the greed for more money, he agreed to betray Jesus for some money. It's not even a lot of money. 30 pieces of silver is the price of a slave. In today's modern calculation, it may seem like a lot, several hundreds. Maybe because of inflation nowadays, it could come up to a thousand. It may seem like a lot, but 30 pieces of silver coins back in those days was the price of a slave. His greed for money led to the little sin of stealing, which led to a bigger sin of betraying Jesus. You know, when, when we talk about Judah's life, a lot of times it's very uncomfortable to reflect on Judah's life and actions and then relate it to ourselves. It's not a very nice thing to do because it seems like in the whole Bible, Judah's sin is the worst sin of all. And I don't want myself to be associated with Judas. I don't want myself to be associated with what Judas did. It's not nice to know that I'm like Judas. No, I don't want. But I think for us to actually make good and wise choices in life, we need to look at what Judas did. Reflect on our lives. A little sin can lead us completely astray from God. You know, sometimes we are very concerned about the big sins. The big sins. What are some of the big sins? You know, we know all about the seven deadly sins. It's not biblical. It's classified by people. What are seven deadly sins? I can't even read out all seven. We know all the seven deadly sins. If you are married, do not commit adultery. Uh, do not steal. Do not kill. Um, what else? Do not lie. These are, these are big sins. You know, for, for some of us, you know, we know big, uh, some, some major things we have to do as a Christian. Oh, I need to read my Bible every day. I need to pray every day. Uh, I need to come to church every Sunday. Even if there's no church next week, I need to turn on my Facebook and watch, you know, the live broadcast. 
We know these things very well. But then when it comes to the little sins in our lives, we don't really pay attention. For Judas, it was his greed, his lust for money, his sin of coveting what was not his. And to him is, I'm still a disciple of Jesus. So I think that takes care of everything. This little problem that I have is not very important. I don't need to pay too much attention to it. I think it's fine. I can let it go on in my life. And I don't think it would affect me. But learn from the life of Judas, that little problem that he never took care of, that little sin that he allowed to, to grow and grow and grow and remain in his life soon became a very big sin that led him to make big choices that ultimately destroyed his whole life. And I think as believers, we need to pay attention. Yes, pay attention to the big sins, the things that we must never, never do. But we must also pay attention to the little sins in our life that we are still doing and we sometimes think it's not important to take care of these sins because I don't think it will affect me at all. I don't think it will affect my salvation. I don't think it will affect my relationship with God. What are some of these little sins? sins, some white lies that we give ourselves an excuse, I need to tell a white lie every day, otherwise how can I get through my entire day? Remember what I said about lying last week, when the Bible says thou shalt not lie, it's actually a doable commandment because the only reason we lie is to avoid the consequences of our wrongdoings. The only reason we have to lie is because we have done something wrong and because we are not willing to admit our mistakes. That is why we have to tell a lie. A lie doesn't stop at one lie. A white lie doesn't just stop at a white lie. You soon have to add on to the lie. Add on to the lie. And finally, that small little lie becomes a big lie. How do you prevent a small lie from becoming a big lie? Don't tell a lie at all. But sometimes we don't really take, pay attention to the small little things, the small little lies that we tell, the small little actions. You're driving down the freeway, someone cuts into you and you press the horn. Pressing the horn is not enough, you say something else. The Holy Spirit reminds you, the Holy Spirit convicts you and then you say, ah, it's okay. It's just something occasional, everyone does it. It's fine. I still go to church. In fact, I'm on my way to the church now. So, yeah, it's fine. I don't think it will affect my relationship with God, but keep doing it. Keep allowing these small little sins to remain in your life. And what happens? A spark will turn into a flame. You know, never underestimate the power of the small little sins. Because sin is a sin. It comes from the devil. And if we allow the devil to light a small little flame in our hearts, let me tell you this. If you don't put out that flame immediately, it will soon turn into a wildfire. 
And by then, it's very hard to stop. Learn from Judas. Reflect on our own lives. I think this, this is the season of Lent. We are already into Lent. We are already two weeks into the Lent season. And the Lent season is about reflection. It's not so much about fasting, giving up something for just 40 days. The land reflection and the, the, the whole crux of land is all about self-reflection. God, what is wrong with me? What I need to change? It is not just saying, God, I'm going to stop Facebook for 40 days. Then after 40 days, I'm going to come back and see any difference. Let me tell you this, you won't have any difference. It's not about just saying, oh God, I'm going to stop drinking wine for 40 days and then after 40 days, I'll come back and have wine again. No, it's not going to help you. But it's about really looking within yourself and asking God this question, God, what is wrong with me? Where can I change? I want to change. This Lent season, I pray that we reflect on the life of Judas Iscariot. Reflect on the little sins in our lives. What are some of the things that we know is not pleasing to God and we are still doing it. Take heed. Be alert. Cast out anything that you know will hinder your relationship with God. Cast it all out so that we will not make the same choice that Judas Iscariot did. Remember a little sin. Don't allow a little sin to dwell in your hearts. The next thing that we read, the next reason and the last and final reason why Judas actually could make the choice that he made. If you look at verse 3, it says, Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot. Satan entered into him. If you look at Another passage that is actually found in uh, the Gospel of John. And if you look at John's account of, uh, of, of Judas Iscariot, that's found in John chapter 13, verse 27. It says, Satan entered into Judas the moment he received the bread from Jesus. In Judas 13, 27, it says, As soon as Judas took the bread from Jesus, Satan entered into him. This question comes up. When exactly did Satan enter into Judas? Were the gospel writers a bit confused as to when Satan actually entered Judas? Were they actually contradicting themselves or were they in conflict with the timeline of when actually Satan entered Judas? Well, I look at it in this way. There is no contradiction between the two accounts in the Gospel of Luke and in the Gospel of John. When, when, the, when Luke wrote that Satan entered Judas before the Last Supper and John wrote that Satan entered Judas during the Last Supper, it, it goes to show that the, 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 the role of Satan did not just begin at one particular time. The role of Satan began when Judas finally made up his mind to betray Jesus. And that was the point where Jesus was no longer in control of Judas' life, but Judas, because of his own choice, 
handed over the control of his life to Satan. And it started right from the moment when Judas conceived this idea that, hey, I can betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It started at that point. The devil has not yet fully controlled Satan's life. But Satan began to fully control Judah's life when he began to take action. When he began to take very intentional actions like meeting up with the chief priests, making plans with them accepting the amount of money that they were going to give to him and then going back and then planning when he would betray Jesus to the chief priests and the officers. By then, Satan had taken control of Judah's life. What about the moment when he was at the Lord's table, when he was eating that final supper with Jesus and Jesus handed him a piece of bread and Jesus told Judas, whatever one you want to do, go and do quickly. What happened when it says, after Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him? Well, it's just a sign or maybe an imagery telling us that by then, Satan was in full control of Judas' life and Judas was set on doing what he wanted to do. There was no more turning back. And Jesus knew, when, Jesus knew when Judas took that bread and walked out of the door, that's it. There was no longer a, a possibility of turning back. Judas has positioned himself to be used by the devil. Judas has positioned himself to fulfill the prophecies, to fulfill the scriptures. He has positioned himself in that place. Not because God had determined he was going to be the one, but because Judas, through his own choices, through his own actions, he chose to do this, to hand over the control of his life from Jesus to the devil. Satan took full control of him and Satan led him astray through his own destruction. I think when we talk about this point of Satan taking control, sometimes it's a very scary thought, right? We oftentimes think of well, if the devil is in control of you, you know, it's like what you see in the horror movies. You're walking around with your eye, your eyelids up, only your whites to be seen. You're walking around like a zombie. Or maybe crickets coming out of your mouth. And things like that. Sometimes we think that is a sign that Satan is in control of my life. But if I, I'm just a normal Christian, I commit some sin here and there occasionally, um, I think Satan is not really in control of my life. Well, ask yourself this question. If I am more tempted to sin every day than do good, then I'm actually living under the yoke of the devil. If I give in more to the temptation and the desires of my sinful nature, 
And oftentimes I give in to it because you hear the voice of the devil speaking to your ears. And, and ask yourself this question, if I do more sinful stuff than, than actually things that are pleasing to God, then it is this. You are living under the yoke of Satan. He's not in complete control at the moment, but continue to allow yourself to be yoked by him partially. Soon, you'll be completely yoked by the devil. And soon, he will be the one that is taking control of your life and leading you where he wants to lead you. You know, I think sometimes we have to take heed. The Bible tells us to beware of the devil's voice. Beware. Beware of the devil's voice. Jesus reminded his disciples, beware of the wolf in sheepskin. I think a lot of you know the story of Little Red Riding Hood, right? How many of you have this very gory childhood story read to you by your parents before you sleep? I read this book just a few days ago and I realized it's actually a very gory story to be reading to little girls. The wolf ate up Little Red Riding Hood. I don't know if that's a good nighttime story to read. But this is what Jesus was painting to his disciples that if you're not aware, the, the, the devil is like a wolf who comes to you in sheepskin. Looking all nice, innocent and cuddly, but then when you finally are drawn to him, he reveals himself to you. And Jesus says, beware. When the first couple was placed in the Garden of Eden, you all know who I'm talking about. It is Adam and Eve. When the first couple was placed in the Garden of Eden, God warned Adam, you can eat of any tree in this garden except one tree, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You cannot touch the fruit from that tree. Now, when Eve came along, so the story goes like this. She was taking a stroll in the Garden of Eden and the serpent came up to Eve. And the serpent communicated with Eve. You see, the key point here is this. Eve had a legit conversation with the devil. And that is the problem. That was the problem. Why she ate the fruit at last. A lot of times we think it was an instantaneous process. The devil told Eve to eat. Immediately, Eve took the fruit, ate, called Adam over, gave it to him, ate, that's it. We, we, we think it happened in one single day. But I don't think it happened in a single day. Because this conversation, if you were to read the book of Genesis very carefully, this was actually a conversation between Eve and the devil that happened over a period of time. It means that one day Eve walked by, the devil said, Psst, hey, come here. I got something to tell you. 
And Eve was like, who are you? And the devil said, hey, you know this tree? This fruit's really nice to eat. And Eve said, no, God said we can't eat of it. Nah, it's okay, try, come on. Then Eve said, no, 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 thanks, thank you. Like how we reject credit card salesmen. And she walked away. This is the first laugh I heard the whole morning. Now then Eve walked away and then maybe the next, the devil was like, I'm not going to give up, I'm just going to wait because she's going to come back. She's already enticed a little bit. The next day, Eve just was walking and then her eyes, from the corner of her eyes, she spotted that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then there was the devil sitting on the top of the tree in the form of a serpent. And then when Eve decided, I'm just, I'm just going to check this tree out a little bit and there she goes, just hanging around near the tree, you know, like how some of us, we like to hang around sin you know we're not really into it we haven't really done it yet but we're just hanging around you know and, and Eve was hanging around the tree and then the devil looked at her called her out from the top of the tree hey psst, up here you want to try some of this fruit and Eve was like you know what God said if I eat of this fruit I'm going to die and the devil was like hey this is point of conversation and he's like hey, hey come let me tell you this you're not really going to die are you sure God really say that and this time, what he has done, he's planted some doubts into her. And Eve was partially convinced. And Eve responded, God said, yeah, God said, you know, if we eat, we will surely die. Eve had conversation, that was the key. The conversation with the devil gave the devil ample opportunity to work his way into her heart, work his way into her desires. And finally, when he had done all that he could, Eve was already hooked under his yoke. And all he needed to tell Eve to do was eat the fruit. Eve ate the fruit. She gave it to Adam. You know, in the passage of 2 Corinthians, verse 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, look at what Paul writes to the Corinthian believers. He says this, I am afraid, and you can read this passage on your own, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning ways, your thoughts, and he's referring to the Corinthian believers, he says, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul writes a very genuine message. He says, I am afraid that the devil if he could deceive Eve with his very cunning words, if you are not alert, if you are not watchful, if you continue to have conversation with the devil, if you continue to reason with the devil, Paul says, I am afraid the devil might actually lead you astray. This morning as we reflect on how we can avoid being under Satan's control. How we can avoid from becoming what Judas became. We need to be alert. 
going to call the worship team up here. I'm going to close shortly. We got to be alert. We got to know the signs. You know, in, in today's time, especially with this COVID-19, you see a lot of signs posted around how you can maintain personal hygiene. And then there's another kind of signage that's being pasted, especially in hospitals or even in shopping malls, um, how to determine if you are a, a COVID-19 patient. You know, watch the signs. If you're having cough, if you're having fever, if, if, if you are feeling, you know, hard to breathe, you might have COVID-19. You need to watch the signs. And after I read some of these signs many times, I think I was affected a little bit psychologically, you know, and I go home, I have a little bit of cough, suddenly I'm thinking to myself, do I have this virus? That day I woke up and I have this usual sinus problem and I woke up sneezing and my nose was running and then suddenly I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, did I have, do I have this virus? I begin opening my phone, looking at Google, checking the signs and symptoms, and apparently one of the signs and symptoms is sinus problem. I don't know where that came from, but then, and then suddenly I was afraid. And the same thing here, the Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says this, be alert, know the signs, what are some signs that is telling you your relationship with God is bad? What are some signs that is giving you this warning? You are moving away from being under the yoke of Jesus to being under the yoke of the devil. What are some signs? And I'm sure we know the signs. Signs like, I no longer want to pray. I'm attracted to sin more than to holiness. Holiness disgusts me. The talk of holiness disgusts me. These are some signs you need to be alert. Watch out. It's a sign. The devil is beginning to pull you over to his side. The devil is beginning to put you under his yoke. Know the signs. How can we avoid from being yoked by the devil? Choose Jesus. You know, my title of the sermon series is I Choose You. To choose Jesus is an intentional, everyday effort. It's not just something we do um, today, tomorrow, and then that's it. It's something, it's a choice we have to make every single day. We need to choose Jesus every single day of our lives because if the moment we don't choose Jesus, we will choose the devil. You cannot say, I just want to sit on the fence. Well, if I feel like it, I will choose Jesus. If I don't feel like it, then I will choose the other side. You cannot say that. You have to choose Jesus very intentionally because the devil comes to us every single day to tempt us, to try and draw us away from Christ. And I don't think that Judas, his, his, his turn of heart happened overnight. It happened over a period of time where he made that conscious and intentional choice to choose the devil and not Jesus. It's very easy to make that wrong choice. 
every day through our actions through our thoughts through our words it's very easy to choose the devil but if we want to choose Jesus it means we choose to walk in holiness we choose to say no to sin that is choosing Jesus and it is an intentional choice every single day if you don't want to come under the yoke of the devil the last thing is this you need to surrender to Jesus what is this what is this phrase what does it mean what does it mean to surrender to surrender means to give your whole self to God when we sing this song I surrender I surrender I want to know you more it is not just telling God God I just surrender a part of my life to you it's not just saying God you know I, I surrender I surrender my career my future into your hands but everything else leave me alone it's mine I'm in control of everything else I surrender maybe the things that are not so important to me like maybe my family I surrender into your hands uh, my personal well-being my health yeah yeah I can surrender those but my life my will I'm not re- I'm not ready yet church let me tell you that's not surrender true surrender is to say God here I am like what the song says down on my knees I surrender everything everything and we can surrender our whole life into the hands of Jesus Jesus will take control Jesus will rule and reign in our life Jesus will lead us down the path that leads to blessings the path that leads to life let's all spend a few moments to reflect wherever you are in your homes in right here let's just spend a few moments to reflect think about what has been said this morning i know it's uncomfortable to reflect your life compare it with the life of judas but i think it is so necessary especially during this lens season let's go a step deeper in our relationship with god let's ask ourselves the difficult questions the questions and and and, and the actions that sometimes we are not really comfortable to admit even to ourselves what have i been doing how have i been living my Christian life if it's uncomfortable bring it out tell God God this is my spiritual condition and then like what I said just now surrender to God make that choice right here right now God I choose you I choose you I choose to surrender to you I choose to listen to your voice to obey your voice I choose to be faithful to you and you alone so spend a few moments talking with God pray to Him